Well, it's a good morning, isn't it? Always wonderful to celebrate baptisms. Uh, If you read the bulletin column, you know that one of my passions is church history, and I believe that it can still teach us today in our lives as believers. And so I thought I'd start this morning with a story of somebody who comes from our past, uh, a story of someone who went before us. That really sets up the big idea of this message. His name was Jonathan Edwards. He was probably, what most believe, the greatest American theologian and philosopher uh, in our country. He was also instrumental in what is known as the Great Awakening that took place uh, in the 1700s, something we continue to pray will take place in our day and age today, that God would make himself known in in a way like that. But what I want to share with you is an account, a personal account he writes about of an experience he has with God. And this is going to be up on the screen because some of the language is going to be a little bit old, but hopefully that'll help you follow along a little bit. But just pay attention to how he describes this experience with God. Edwards writes, once as I rode out into the woods for my health in 1737, having alighted from my horse in a retired place as my manner commonly has been to walk in divine contemplation and prayer, I had a view that was for me extraordinary. I saw the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man, and his wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love, meek and gentle condensation. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, with excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and conception, which continued as near as I can judge about an hour. This kept me the greater part of the time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. I felt an ardency of soul to be what I know not otherwise how to express, emptied and annihilated. I wanted to lie in the dust and to be full of Christ alone, to love him with a holy and pure love, to trust him, to live upon him, to serve and follow him, and to be perfectly sanctified and made pure with a divine and heavenly purity. In that account, uh, Edwards is describing an experience he had with the glory of God. For him at that moment, knowing God wasn't just something in his head. It's something that took hold of his entire life. And I want to share that with you this morning because this is actually the very thing that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. And uh, as a result for us as well, as he closes out this section in Ephesians chapter 3. If you're following, Paul prays for a real experience of God's glory in our lives. A real experience of God's glory in our lives that Christ would become real to us, not just an idea. This is something I pray often for my kids, right? They can come to church. They can go to Sunday school lessons. I can tell them all about God. We can read the Bible at night. But I pray that it will actually be a real experience for them, that they will really know God and experience him. Now, if you haven't been with us throughout the spring, we've been making our way throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians in a series that we titled In Christ. Because what we've been learning is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been given a whole new identity. And in this series, we've been looking at this new identity we've been given in Christ. And at the end of the message, we're actually going to review some of those things. But really, the big idea of this series, if you haven't been with us, is simply to convince us of our new identity in Christ. And the reason for that is so many of us, even as Christians, we walk around believing lies about ourselves. We let the evil one uh, influence our lives and we start to believe things about ourselves that just aren't true. And that leads so many Christians, many I know, 
to live these disappointed and disenchanted lives with Christ. I mean, I read promises like Jesus gives that he wants to give us life and life to the full. And so many Christians don't actually experience that life. And I think a lot of that has to do with not understanding who you truly are in Christ. And that's what this series has been all about. It's been all about our new identity. And we come to the end of this section on identity. And starting in chapter 4, which we're going to pick up next fall, we hope you can join us for that, Paul's going to talk all about how to live out that identity. But before he does that, just like he did way back in chapter 1, he wants to pause at the end of this section and pray over the Ephesian believers. And this is a prayer that we can receive still today as his church. And his prayer is that we will take our identity in Christ heart. I don't know how else to say it other than we will actually experience Christ. We will experience him. I love how Tim Keller describes this whole thing. He says, we are settling for far, far, far too little as Christians. When it comes to experiencing God, there is a feast waiting for us in the next room, and all we're doing is nibbling on the Melba toast that's out on the coffee table when you first come in. Uh, That describes so many of our lives sometimes, right? Christ has invited us to come and join him in this great feast, and yet we stay out in the outer room, and we sort of just nibble away at the Christian faith. Well, what's the feast? If you're following on your notes there, God wants us to experience our identity, not just know about it. We can nibble on it. We can know about it. We can know all about the Bible. We can know all about Jesus. We can know all about our identity, but he wants you to experience it. Come in. Come and enter the feast that I have prepared for you. And Paul prays now that we will actually experience Christ in us. And he's going to pray three specific things, and I want to talk about those three things. But the first thing I want to do is simply just read the whole prayer together. So if you have your uh, Bible ready and uh, ready to go, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. If you don't have one, we always carry some in the seat underneath you or behind you or in front of you there. Uh, hopefully you can find one of those and follow along. But uh, if you don't know where to find it, Ephesians three fourteen is on page 815 in the Black Bibles in the seat in front of you there. So we're going to end this whole th- series this this uh, first part of the year. We're going to end this here in this section. So why don't uh, we read this? I'll read this and you can follow along. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, Paul writes, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Lord, you have invited us to a feast, so let us stop nibbling. Paul is praying here that we might experience you in your fullness, and that's what we want. So make yourself known to us this morning in ways maybe we've never known. Let our lives be open to you to receive what you have for us, not for our sake, but for the sake of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 
So this is kind of a confusing prayer when I first started looking at it. It's in the Greek, it's only one sentence. So you're trying to like discern like how many prayers is Paul actually praying here? I read anywhere from six to two. I settled personally this week. I think he's praying for three specific things. And I want to talk to you about those three things. The first thing I believe Paul is praying for there is Paul prays we will experience God's presence. His presence in us. Uh, Look again at verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now anytime I'm reading prayers in scripture, whether it's the Psalms or the uh, prayers Jesus prayed or even the prayers here in uh, the rest of the New Testament, what I'm always looking for, and this is a good idea for you as well, is look for the action words because I want to know what this person is actually praying for. And you usually find that in the verbs or the the action words. And in this verse, we see two action words I want to mention. Number one, Paul prays that we would be strengthened that we would be strengthened in our inner being so that, number two, God may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I believe both of those have something to do with you experiencing God in your life. First one is a prayer that we might experience God as the, as the Holy Spirit in our, quote, inner being. Now, what is Paul talking about when he uses this term, inner being? Well, in my opinion, he's just talking about everything we've been learning in this series. It's about our new identity in Christ Jesus. If you're following there on your notes, our inner being is our true self in Christ. It's who you've been made uh, once you were placed in a relationship with Christ. That's your inner being in Christ, not the lies you believe if you're still following there, not the lies we believe. This is the place in your life, if you are a Christian, where God has placed his very spirit within you. While our outer being may be wasting away, can I get an amen to that? Our inner being is being renewed day by day through the Spirit's presence at work in our lives. This, in its simplest terms, is who you are, who I am in Christ Jesus, my inner being. And Paul prays that we would be strengthened in our inner being. He prays that we'll be strengthened in our inner being. Or if you're following, he prays we'll fully experience the Spirit's presence in us. I don't, we don't use this word a lot, but Paul is literally praying that you will experience God's manifest presence in your life, that he will show up in unmistakable ways in your inner being. You see, Jesus always was filled with the Spirit, right? He did his whole ministry walking in the Spirit, abiding in the Spirit, and he prays that we too as Christians, because we're in Christ, that that would be our experience as well, that we would be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit each and every day to live our lives according to his purposes for us. Uh, if you weren't here uh, several weeks ago when we were looking at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, I used this vase as an example to remind us that Jesus didn't come to fix us, right? By grace through faith, we've been saved, and he gave us a whole new life. It's an amazing thing. But so often, here's what I've done in my Christian life, and I think this is where a lot of Christians experience the frustration of the Christian life. I thought now it was my job to fill up the vase, And the way I would fill up this vase, provide the water in my life, is be through like willpower and determination and most of all through obedience. I had to earn what God had given me as a gift. What Paul is trying to tell you here is not only did Jesus give us a new life, he now wants to fill your life with his very presence He has given us his Holy Spirit out of his glorious riches. That's what Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about, right? 
the riches we've been given in Christ. He doesn't just save you. He wants to help you live your daily life by filling you, by actually experiencing him at work in your life. Friends, this is why I've been saying, Jeff has been saying, Brian's been saying every week in this series, you can't start talking about the behaviors of the Christian life until you first understand who you are in Christ. Being always comes before doing. Too many people, too many Christians have reversed those things. If I just fill my life up, I'll be the right kind of purpose. Jesus is telling us, you got to empty your life first, and i got to fill it up. i got to fill it up with my presence, because if I fill it up with my own life, it's just going to leave me empty, isn't it? That's where it left me, just this cycle of emptiness. I can't ever fill my life up to the measure I wanted to fill it. Obedience to Christ. Obedience to Christ, living a life worthy of your identity, it isn't something you can do on your own. Have you gotten that in your head? It took me a long time uh, to get that in my head, so I'll save you some of the trouble. Stop trying, it will only leave you frustrated. He's got to fill you with his presence. And then if you're falling on your notes there, obedience is just a byproduct of a heart filled with Christ. It's just a byproduct. It's just going to come naturally. Right? I mean, if I fill that vase up with water and I just keep going, what's going to happen? It's going to start overflowing. It's going to start pouring out all over this floor. And that's the picture we should have. Like, I just want to open my life up for the presence of God, and then he will begin to overflow me with his presence, friends. In fact, that really leads to this second key word I mentioned there. Did you see the word dwell? There's two words in Greek Paul could have used. There's the word dwell that describes someone as staying in a place as a stranger. Like in uh, Genesis, we're told Abraham dwelled in a land that was not his own. Right? He was a stranger. But that's not the word Paul chooses to use here. He uses a word that means settling down in a place and making a permanent residence there. So think about what Paul is praying here. He's praying that God would dwell in our hearts permanently. That we would be in Christ That would be like the cornerstone of our life. And friends, that by very definition is what it means to be a Christian. It's it's why we titled this series what it is, In Christ. To be a Christian means we're in Christ. That Christ is in us. That he dwells in us. He has made his permanent home in you. In John chapter 14, he tells the disciples, listen, if you believe in me, I want to make my home, that's the word dwell, I want to make my home in you. What an unbelievable promise. This is true of every Christian, so my question would be to you, like, why would Paul pray this again? It's already happened for these Ephesian believers. Why is he praying that we might know the indwelling presence of Christ in our lives? Again, it comes full circle for me. So many of you, even in this room, know that. You know about that, but you don't know it. You don't experience it. You know all the right things. You know that Christ is in me. Yes, I know that. I've read it. I've memorized the verses. But do you experience it? And Paul is praying that we might experience the manifest presence of God dwelling in our lives. That you would really, deep down, somewhere, know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is with you. You know, I've been journaling through the Psalms, and this whole idea of the indwelling presence of God, there was a guy named David who understood a lot about that. I encourage you, if you, if you want to learn more about understanding the presence of God, read some of David's Psalms. In Psalm 52.8, I just read this this week, it kind of stood out to me. He wrote, but I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. 
I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. Just think about that picture. David pictures himself as an olive tree, rooted, grounded in the house of God, dwelling with God, God dwelling with him, and the result of that is that he is flourishing. That's the prayer Paul has for us here. That God would dwell in us so deeply that our lives would begin to overflow and flourish. If you're following, when Christ dwells in us, he causes us to flourish. Can you underline that word, he? Not you. He causes us to flourish. When we let him fill us, that's when we'll start to experience the abundant life. And how does that happen? Did you notice the end of this first prayer? It happens through faith. That's so amazing to me. Just like we're given this new life by grace, how? Through faith. Like Christ never barges into our lives, right? He won't force you to do anything. It's the same for your daily walk. It's by faith. Each day you wake up in the morning. Remember we learned what faith is? It's daily surrendering. It's surrendering. It's committing myself. It's by faith that I open myself up. I open the top of my vase up to receive God's presence every day. He won't force himself into you. He won't force you to live the life he's called you to live. He will, however, make himself available to you if you want to be filled by him. It is by faith, a daily kind of faith. Have you experienced that? I don't know about you, but I need to, every morning, I'm, I'm, I'm in prayer just like, Lord, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes today to live the life you've called me to live. Fill me. Fill me with your presence because it's the only way. It's the only way. Second thing Paul prays is Paul prays that we will experience God's love. These are some famous verses here. I printed them on your notes, verses 17 and 18. Can we read them out loud together, they say? And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now let me just ask you something, and don't answer this too quickly. This is just between you and the Lord, not your neighbor. Are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that the Lord loves you right now? That the Father in heaven looks down on you right now as you're meeting, as you're sitting here in 2125 Woodside Road, and that he loves you with an everlasting love. Not that he so loves the world, we know that, but that he loves you as an individual. Are you sure? There have been times in my life when I have been very sure of the love of Christ, that he loves me, but I gotta be honest, there are also times when I am prone to wander towards insecurity, I've shared this with you, and I start to believe that I have to once again earn God's love, right? I've shared that pattern in my life, no doubt some of you have seen it in your own as well, but I just gotta ask myself again, ask yourself, am I sure that I'm sure that I'm sure that God loves me? Me. Is that a part of your identity? In John 15, 9, Jesus would say this. Let's read this out loud together. It says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. What's the first two words? Just as. In so much as, in the same way as the Father loves Jesus, that's how much Jesus loves me. Come on. Shouldn't it say like, a third or a half of the amount the Father loved Jesus? I mean, this is too much for me to handle. Just as the Father loved Jesus, do 
Jesus loves you. Some of you get the love of God and praise God for that. I need to learn more from you. I'm grateful for you, but I struggle with it. And so when I read verses like this or other verses, it's hard for me to take that in, to experience that sometimes. So I try to uh, earn God's love. I just fall back into that pattern. Because here's the thing. The only way I'm ever going to take that in is if the power of the Holy Spirit infuses my life and helps me to understand it in ways that I can't simply understand it in my head. And that's what Paul is praying for here, that you will experience, not just know about, experience personally the love that God has for you. And that's why Paul prays uh, the way he prays here. Paul actually uses two metaphors. You can look back at the verse here. He never got the lesson in English that you're not supposed to mix metaphors, right? Uh, The first one is an agricultural metaphor. He prays that our love in Christ will be rooted. And then the next one is an architectural metaphor. He prays that it will be established, right? He's mixing metaphors, but they have the same uh, purpose, right? Like a tree, Paul prays that our lives will send roots that go deep down. Where? Where are the roots supposed to go? To the love of Christ. And that's where we're to receive our nourishment. Like a building, we are supposed to be built on the solid foundation, on the love that God has for us. And the reason Paul uses these metaphors, if you're following, is because if we are rooted and established in love, nothing will shake us. If that's who you are, if that's who you know who you are in Christ, loved by God, nothing will be able to shake you. Have you ever tried moving a tree, just like with your shoulder or something, like a big oak tree? Have you ever tried moving a a building with your shoulder? You can't. Even this last couple of weeks, I've been watching our trees in the backyard. You know, we've had some major storms, some incredible wind, and I'm just amazed every time I watch these trees how much they can withstand. Why? Because they have dug their roots deep down into the earth, and Paul is praying, friend, would you dig your roots deep down into the love of God? If that's where you're rooted, If that's where the cornerstone is of your life, it's going to be really tough when those lies come for them to shake you. It's going to be tough when Satan comes blowing all of his wind, and that's all it is, a bunch of wind. When he blows it on your life, you will be unmovable. So he prays, root yourself. Establish yourself in the love of Christ. I love uh, the word Paul uses. He says, grasp it. Grasp. It means, if you're following, to lay hold of something for yourself. And again, if you're hearing me say one thing this morning, I'm going to just say, repeat it over and over and over again. It's not enough to know about the love of God. You must grasp it for yourself. You must experience it yourself. Not just be aware of it, but to know it, to know how wide and long and high and deep it is. This is a personal experience of God's love. Isn't this what Jonathan Edwards was describing? Being overwhelmed with the glory of God and his love for him, it caused him to lose track of time for an hour. He couldn't even describe it. Have you ever had experiences of the love of God like that, ever? I know many Christians who go their whole lives and they're never overwhelmed with the love of God. Lord, I pray that you will experience that. It happens sometimes in worship services, doesn't it? But a lot of times it just happens when we make ourselves available to him. I remember the time that I always look back on most in my life, and I'm not sharing this like, oh, you have to have these kind of experiences. But when I was baptized, I just think about baptisms today. When I was baptized by my dad, I don't even know how to describe it. But I came out of the water and words like light and warmth and love just overcame my body and my heart. 
I was experiencing the love of Christ. Have you ever had experiences where he has overwhelmed you and you have known that you've known that you've known that you are rooted in something so much more powerful, so much more amazing than we could ever imagine? Let's move on. The third thing Paul prays for is that we will experience God's power. Oh, sorry, I missed a line. I know some of you won't be able to go to bed tonight unless I finish that. (laughs) If you're following, have I personally grasped God's great love for me? Have you experienced it for yourself? Now are you ready? The third thing Paul prays is that we would experience God's power. He prays for it all throughout this prayer, right? Verse 16, verse 18. Now again in verse 19, he says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, now here's the key, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you will be overflowing with God's presence and his power in life. That means not simply knowing God wants to fill you, but actually experiencing it. And again, the reason for all this is because if you're following, we experience God's power when we're filled with his spirit. Now you may be thinking, what's different about this in the first prayer? There's not a whole lot of difference here, except I can be filled with the presence of the spirit of God. I am right now. So are you if you're a Christian. And yet it's a totally different thing to tap into the spirit's presence and access the power he wants to give me in order to live my life. Yeah? And we can ignore the Holy Spirit. I do it all the time, unfortunately. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can choose to walk in our own flesh instead of according to the Holy Spirit. Are you with me here? And yet what Paul is praying here, that we will be filled so much with the Holy Spirit that he will empower us to live out our daily lives. Think of it this way. If somebody put $10 million in your bank account, at that very moment, how much are you worth? Math, early in the morning, I know, it's tough, but 10 million equals 10 million. Thank you, very good. So you're worth $10 million, right? At a certain point of view, you're rich, but you're not experiencing your riches until you do what? You take out that money and you start to use it. So listen, we can be filled with all the riches of the presence of the Holy Spirit, but we're not experiencing his power unless we actually draw on it. And use it. Paul calls it in Galatians, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit instead of according to my flesh. Now, why does God want to share his power with us? Why does he share his spirit? Well, this is where the whole doing of the Christian faith comes into play, right? Does he share his power so that corporately together we can build a church for our own glory? Does he share his power so that as individuals we can get things from God that we want? that we think is going to make our life better? Uh, Some people teach that. No, no, no. God always shares his power with us as his people, corporately, as a church, individually, so that we might, in return, glorify him. That's it. Your life is all about glorifying Christ if you are a Christian. That's it. Our life together as a church has no greater purpose than glorifying Christ Jesus. That's it. And if our motive is anything other than that, we will not have the power of God at work in our lives or in our church. Amen. If my motive this morning standing up here to preach is to impress you, I might be able to put together a great little sermon. I might even have three points, and you might walk away and say, he's a pretty good teacher. But if my motive is just to impress you, there's no power in that at all. 
But if my motive is that you might be able to experience Christ and that Christ would be glorified, then God will show up. If our motive when we come together to worship on Sunday morning is, I hope they sing the songs I want them to sing, he ain't showing up. But if we come together corporately and we want to glorify him, he will pour out his power in this place. Don't you want that? Paul is praying that we would experience the power of God at work in our lives. And starting next fall, we're going to learn how to walk in that power, right? That's when we're going to get to all that obedience stuff. But don't get there too fast. First, got to understand who you are. And in order to be obedient, we have to be filled with the presence and the love and the power of Christ Jesus. But here's the incredible thing. That's what he wants to do for you. If you're following, Christ empowers us to live a life worthy of our identity. You don't got to do that on your own. He wants to empower you. Why? Because he wants you to live the abundant life. And the abundant life is a life that glorifies Jesus Christ. End of story, period. So, this is Paul's prayer for the church to experience God's presence, his love, and his power. And so the question as we close becomes, how can I experience God in this way? I mean, maybe you want to. Maybe you don't. I can't decide that for you, but if you want to experience this in your life, the only answer I can give to you is to experience God this way, you must take time to be with him. If you're following, we must take time to be with him. To experience him, you must be with him. He must become your supreme desire above all other desires. His glory must become our church's supreme desire when we gather here anytime, on Sunday morning specifically, though. He must, that must become our supreme desire if we really want to experience Christ at work to get together. To do that, here's what you have to do. You have to practice what's called the spiritual disciplines of the faith. I don't like the word discipline. I think of the graces, the gifts God's given us, right? I'm an open vase, and he's given us these things that we can practice that he wants to fill our lives with, things like prayer, like meditating on Scripture. I'm not talking about just reading Scripture. I'm talking about taking it into my life. I'm talking about uh, things like silence. How often do you practice silence? I don't very often. My life is noisy. Solitude. I fill it with so much stuff. How can I hear from God? I've got all this stuff going on but i got to take time to be with him. If I want to experience these things, if I want to uh, live the life this prayer has to offer. Now, is there always going to be fireworks when you take time to be with God? This is really important. Will there always be fireworks? Jonathan Edwards' experiences? No, even he said that was pretty rare for him. But we come to Christ not based on feelings, but based on the expectation that he is waiting to fill me with his presence and his love and his glory. I'll close with this thought. For years, I've had a little post-it note on my desk. On it is a prayer that I just thought was ridiculous when I first read it that Moses prayed. It's from Exodus 33:18. 18. I have it on your notes there. Why don't we pray it together out loud? It says, then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. What a ridiculous prayer. How dare he? That's too bold. And that's what prayer, Paul's praying for for us. Show us your glory. I pray you, show me your glory. Manifest your glory in my life. Will you pray that? If you're following on your notes, will I pray to experience my identity in Christ in its fullness? To experience God's love 
his power, his presence. Can we pray that together as a church? Can God answer this prayer? Absolutely. Perhaps this is why Paul closes his whole section in Ephesians with these famous words. If you still have your Bible open, he closes this with this famous benediction, which reads in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let that be our prayer, that he would do immeasurably more in your life and in my life, and in our church's life than we could ever ask or imagine. Well, I'm going to take a little shift here now. We are finishing up, as I mentioned, this series in Ephesians, and I promise we were going to remind you of some of the things we've learned about who we are in Christ. And so the pastors of the church, we put together a little video for you. We want this to be a gift to you, to receive this as a gift as we speak over you. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we want you to remember these things. I'll start by saying, remember, you are saints. You are saints. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are the recipient of grace upon grace. You were chosen before the creation of the world. Intentionally, God chose you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are holy. You are blameless. You are adopted into God's family. Be convinced that you are his son. Be convinced that you are his daughter. You are heirs. You are redeemed. Your sins are forgiven. You are marked and sealed in Christ through the Holy Spirit. You were dead in your sin, but you are alive. You are alive. You are alive in Christ. Know this, you are greatly loved. You are saved by grace. By grace, you've been saved. Jesus didn't come to fix you. He came to give you a whole new life. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are God's handiwork. You are a carrier of God's glory. You are a strong, powerful force for the kingdom of God. You are God's people. You have been reconciled in order to be reconcilers. You are part of his household. You are God's house, his holy temple. Cherry Hills, you are his church. We are his church. And we pray that you would grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. We pray that you know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I'm going to invite the members of our prayer team to come forward if you need to be prayed with or you just like somebody to come around you this morning. We always make ourselves available to you up, down, up front after the service. I also want to mention you got one of these on your seat. If you just need to be reminded, like I do, of who you are in Christ, we hope this uh, can be beneficial to you. As we close out this series, why don't we close reading the last words of Ephesians chapter 3 together out loud on the screen here. Will you join me? It says, 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.